It's worth saying that uh, uh, John, who penned these words, has become known as the Apostle of Love. And it's also worth noting that John was the one disciple who was closest to Jesus. And so therefore, as we come closer to Jesus in our walk with him, we also will come to know God's love in a way that John knew what God's love was like. So we start in verse 7. God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loves so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are to be like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. May God bless his word to us this morning. Thanks very much, Jeff, and uh, thanks, James, for leading the first part of our service this morning. Uh, it's great to see you all. Uh, it's great to be standing on the new stage as well. Hope you do like it. Um, underneath this is a whole load of wiring, so thanks uh, to Ian and the guys who've been sorting that out so that we can uh, um, use it well this morning. Well, we've come to, uh, as James was saying, the end of our sermon series on an awesome God. The reason we decided to do this series and uh, the reason we, we chose a verse for the year which focused on God and his glory was that we believe as pastors and elders um, and as a church that in many ways our view of God is just too small. And if our view of God is too small, then our relationship with him is too shallow. We don't want to just come to church and do all the church stuff, lead a, a respectable life. We actually want to be all out for Christ. 
We wanted as church to be all out for Christ. And we know that the more we surrender our lives to him and his purposes, the more blessings we will receive in this life and in the life to come. The worst sort of religion is, as God describes himself in the the book of Revelation, a half-hearted, lukewarm religion. This is what he says to the church in Laodicea. He says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If we just exhort you to be more committed, to be more radical, to be more holy, it's not really going to have much effect What we can do, though, is present to you God in all his glory and pray that the Spirit would do his work to captivate you by his beauty and his splendor. And so we've been focusing on different aspects of God's nature and his character. Many of these have been quite hard, actually, in many ways, to get our heads round, to say that God is all-powerful and all-knowing, that God is everywhere, to say he's eternal and unchanging to say that God is holy. Well, in the last one in the series today, we've finally come to the one we love to talk about, which is God is love. We like that one. Nobody can challenge that one. We put it on stickers, on bookmarks, on posters. Um, it's a bit like an anti-war slogan, isn't it? God is love. All you need is love. And with Valentine's Day this week, in case you weren't aware, whatever you think about it, um, how appropriate that today we're looking at the subject of love. Love is one of God's attributes. It goes along with his holiness, his justice, his wisdom, his power, his eternity. But what we can't do is pick and choose God's attributes. You know, I go along with his love. I, I like that one, but I don't really like his justice. Because each of his attributes is completely present in everything that he does. So his power is loving power. His justice is loving justice. Likewise, his love is is just and holy and eternal. But what does it mean to say God is love? Why do we need his love? If I'm in a relationship with somebody and uh, uh, the love they give me is, is fulfilling, why do I need God's love? Well, these are some of the questions we're going to be looking at this morning. To say God is love means that he's loving, it means that God loves. But it's also more than that. To say God is love, first of all, is to imply that he is the source of all love. Before God even made the world, before he made people, he was a God of love. When Jesus prays to the Father in John 17, this is what he says. He says, Father... I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The Trinity of Father, Son and Spirit lived in a fulfilling community of love before they created the world, before they created humankind. God is the inventor of love. And therefore anyone else who says that they love must have got that love from him to say that god is the source of love means that there can be no love that does not come from god and we can't understand the nature of god the nature of love without looking to its source just as there's no smoke without fire there's no love without god have a look at verse seven 
in the, your Bibles in chapter 4 there. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, you may be someone here this morning who's not a Christian, um, or you're thinking of somebody, a friend of yours who's not a Christian, you're thinking, actually, they are still a really loving and caring uh, person, probably more so than I am. Of course, there are many people who are not Christians who, who demonstrate great love. But the source of that love is still God. We were all made in the image of God. And although that image may have been marred by the fall, there is something of God in all of us. We don't know why he chooses to give some more of a loving disposition than others. But that is what is known as his common grace. His undeserved love that he gives to all. Do you remember last week, if you were here, we looked at the uh, the Top Gear lap chart and compared it with um, a moral purity chart. And if we were to, to be asked um, to put ourselves on the moral purity chart, where would we put ourselves? And I guess most of us would say, well, a little bit above average, probably. Um, some might say, actually, no, probably quite a way down the bottom there somewhere. Uh, I'm really not very high on this at all. I'm really struggling. And in the end we say, well actually it doesn't really matter because compared to God, we are way short of his perfect standards anyway. And the good news is whether we're at the bottom of the chart or the top of the chart, uh, God can still make us holy. He can still make us right in his sight. And the same applies with love. There will be those who are really caring, loving people. And there'll be those who are completely oblivious to the needs of others. The important thing, though, is that we acknowledge that all we have comes from God, and that includes our capacity to love. Do we also acknowledge that um, our capacity to love, however good it is, is still far from perfect? God's love, on the other hand, is perfect. And it's perfect in many ways. What does perfect love look like? How would we like to be loved perfectly? Well, the first thing is that God's love, perfect love, does not need to be earned. One of the hardest things in human love is the feeling that we we have to earn somebody else's love. And the fear of um, rejection if we don't succeed. What if they just don't like me? Many of you will have grown up in uh, loving Christian families. But uh, there are many people, I'm sure some here today, many others who have not experienced such a blessing. Um, They've not experienced the love of one or even both parents. Maybe they didn't live live up to their parents' expectations. Maybe one parent walked out and maybe they blamed themselves for that. Maybe their whole lives have been dominated by the desire to somehow earn the love of their parents. The reason that God's love is perfect is that he loved us before we loved him. He didn't wait to see how lovable we were, how we turned out, or if we deserved his love before he started to love us. He didn't wait to see how often we prayed or read our Bibles or or went to church or how well we served him. He loved us anyway. Have a look at verse 10. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And that is a really liberating love. It's a love that accepts us just as we are in the way God made us. We may think of ourselves as quite plain, as as dull, as not very clever, lacking in gifts. And we're we're aware that society is saying that we have to be confident and assertive and witty and, and attractive if anybody's going to love us. But God loves us just as we are. A witty person loves to have others laugh at their jokes. A sporting person loves to have others admire their their speed or their, their agility. A craftsman likes to have people admire the work of his or her hands. People like to post things on, on Facebook that others will like. But ultimately, what we all need is not admiration. It's not a list of acquaintances. It's true friends that love us just as we are. Because admiration disappears when our looks fade, when our bodies can no longer do the things they used to do, when our memories start to go. The love of genuine friendship is the greatest thing we can experience because friends will last even after we've lost the ability to gain admiration for what we can do. Perfect love does not need to be earned. Secondly, perfect love is sacrificial. 35 years ago, we've got a picture here, a Boeing 737 crashed into a bridge over the Potomac River in Washington, just two miles from the White House. The plane was carrying 74 passengers and five crew. Only six survived the crash. A helicopter came to try and rescue them and pull them out of the freezing waters. And as the line was dropped... Uh, there was one guy there called um, Arland Williams who caught the line and gave it to three different people each time. Uh, by the time the, the helicopter came back for him, he'd already drowned. Now that is an amazing story of courage, an amazing story of, of sacrifice. He gave his, his life so that others could live. As it says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. But it still doesn't compare with the act of love that God showed to us. Because the greatest act of love is to give someone the most precious thing possible at the greatest cost to the giver. Have a look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or if you want to more simply look at verse chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What was the precious gift? The precious gift was life. Not just earthly life, because that won't last forever, but eternal life. Life in communion with the one who made us. With God himself. Life in all its abundance. A life of love. That is such a precious thing, which is why we have it on the wall in in the concourse. Different translation, but the same message. God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. 
What was the cost to God? The sacrifice of his son. Jesus gave up his heavenly throne where he received the worship due to him for who he is. He came into this fallen world where he was subject to temptation, to abuse, to death threats, to wrongful arrest, betrayal by friends, flogging, humiliation, and crucifixion. But worse than that was the moment when the anger of God at all our pride, our lies, our lusts, our envy, and greed was all laid on him. And he was separated from the perfect love of his father to whom he had always been intimately connected. Connected since before the foundation of the world. That was a huge sacrifice. That was perfect love. Perfect love is also reliable. As humans, we are unreliable, some more so than others. When we feel unloved, we often withdraw our love. When we feel offended, we find it hard to forgive. We hold it, find it easy to hold grudges. The actor Ewan McGregor, I don't know if you've read about this recently, uh, with this new film that's come out, um, Train Spotting 2. He appeared in Danny Boyle's first three films. Uh, he thought he was his go-to actor. Uh, he had first choice in every film he produced. And uh, when it came to his film, The Beach, and he gave the lead role to Leonardo DiCaprio, um, it broke their relationship. Um, for 10 years, they didn't speak to one another. However strong our human relationships may appear to be, they're tainted by our pride, our self-centeredness, and our fear. We are unreliable. Um, we often do the things that... Um, we often don't do the things that we said we would do. We often put our comfort and our security before our willingness to make sacrifices. Jesus experienced that at first hand when he was arrested. His disciples scattered. His closest disciple, Peter, denied him three times that he even knew him. But God always forgives. Verse 16 says, and so we know and we rely on the love God has for us we let God down every day of our lives through our persistent selfishness and yet he is willing for us to be called friends and when we realize the gulf between us and understand that he still wants us to be his friends that should make us incredibly humble perfect love also drives out fear the biggest problem for many people in this world is fear of others and a lack of confidence in themselves. As we said before, they want to be admired and are therefore fearful of rejection. This week we saw the sad death of Tara Palmer Tomkinson. She uh, confessed in an interview a few years ago about her c- cocaine addiction. And uh, she said this, she, she said, I would use it to give me confidence. That's what it provides. That absolute vacuous false nature of everyone thinking that the sun shines out of your when it really doesn't. Where do we get our confidence from? Those of us who are parents who want our children to, to be confident. But the greatest confidence comes not from being able to impress those around you, but knowing that you are loved by God. 
some people believe in God but are afraid that, well, on the day of judgment, um, maybe I'm just not good enough. But as we said, perfect love does not need to be earned. God loves us despite our failings, despite our imperfections, and therefore we don't need to be afraid. Have a look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. In the evangelism training day yesterday that um, James mentioned, we were saying that one of the things that stops us as Christians talking about Jesus is a fear of rejection. And yes, we will be rejected by some for being a Christian. But whether we are accepted or rejected doesn't make us more or less valuable. What makes us valuable is that Christ died for us because he loves us. Well, we may be thinking, this is great. Um, sounds brilliant. It's perfect love. But how do I have some of that for myself? How can I have it? How can I experience that perfect love? And the answer is here right in the passage. And the short answer is we need to trust in Jesus. Have a look at verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We have to acknowledge that we need a savior. Our relationship with God is broken. It needs restoring. And the only person who can do that is Jesus Christ himself. We can't do it ourselves. Imagine going back to that, that picture of the Potomac River. You're there in the freezing water. The line comes down and you say, I don't need a line, thank you very much. I'll swim out of here myself. That's what we're saying to God when we reject his gift of Jesus. However loving we think we are, however high up that chart we may think we are, we all need a saviour. Jesus is the son of God who came into the world to save us from our sins. And when we receive him as our saviour, we will be reconciled to God. We will be united to him. We will have a relationship with him, a relationship that is far superior to any human relationship, a relationship with God himself, a relationship of perfect love. Well, so far we've looked to the fact that God is the source of love. God's love is perfect. God's love is available to all. But before we finish, um, in verse 12, we have another quite surprising statement. And that is that God's love is made complete in us. Have a look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, what is that all about? Surely God doesn't need us to complete his love. You know, he's complete in himself. Well, to try and understand this, it may help to go to John 1.18, where it says, um, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Both verses start with a statement, no one has ever seen 
God. In John 1, 18, it says that God made himself known through his son, Jesus Christ. So in this passage, if we read, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us, what it would appear to mean is that if we love one another, we are also making God known. In the way we love others, we are revealing the love of God to the world. God's love is made complete, it is perfected when it is reproduced in us. And that is why there's so much emphasis in this passage on loving others. Because it's proof that they themselves have known the love of God and they're demonstrating that love to those around them. Now that is a huge responsibility, isn't it? It makes us constantly question, what image of God are we giving to others? The image of our great and glorious and loving God. Are we giving a true image of him to others? It's a question we should be asking ourselves all the time. It's a question we should be asking ourselves at the church all the time. It's no good um, just saying to ourselves, do we understand in our hearts, in our heads, what it means that, that God is love? Is it in our hearts? Are we living that out in our daily behavior? And it's great to hear um, of acts of love, isn't it? They're a great encouragement because we are living that out in many ways. Great to hear from, from uh, James and, and Vi just now, the love that they've felt. But if you maybe do struggle a bit with loving others, if you're thinking, I know I should be more loving, and let's face it, we all should be, but I just find it very difficult. This passage is not so much about how we should love, but why we should love. So if you're struggling with this area, um, and this is for all of us, if we feel maybe that our heart is cold, let's read this passage, let's reread it, let's meditate on the perfection of love. Let's meditate on how God has showed us his love in verses 9 and 10. And thank God for his love. Ask him by his spirit to fill our hearts with that love so it overflows to others. We're coming to communion now. We're going to celebrate the love of God that he showed among us. And as we do so, let's... um, Let's say the words that are on the screen there, verses 9 and 10. Let's spend a a moment of quiet in our hearts just meditating on these verses and preparing our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together. The invitation is made, come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak come, not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come, because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come, because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. Let's say together a prayer of preparation which will appear on the screen almighty God to whom all hearts are open all desires known and from whom no secrets are hidden cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you 
and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. At a moment when Jesus experienced some death on the cross, when the sins of the world were on his shoulders, as that perfect relationship of love with his Father um, was about to be broken for our sake, he looked out, he saw those who were responsible, he saw those who'd put him there. He looked out at a world whose sins had put him there. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let's thank God for his great sacrifice to us. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your, your perfect love. We thank you that we don't need to, to earn it, to do something to achieve it, that you loved us before we loved you. We thank you for the great sacrifice of your love, the way you showed your love by sending Jesus to die for us. Father, we thank you that your love is reliable, it is trustworthy, we can always trust in you that she will never let us down. Lord, as we think of our own inadequacies, our own imperfect love, we thank you that you do still love us. You accept us. You look at us and you see Jesus Christ himself. And you delight in us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that we can come and celebrate your love now through this bread and this wine as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross as he demonstrated his love for us. We thank you in his name. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. We'll keep the cup as it is served, and then we'll drink together to demonstrate our unity in Christ. Let's drink this and celebrate the love that caused Christ to give his life for us. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the, all the fullness of God. Amen. What a stand to sing and celebrate their love in this final hymn. Love divine or love excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Stand to sing. Um, but let's close now and say the grace together, shall we? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.